Hi to everybody and their neighbor. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Gear and Gigs, the podcast. I'm your host, Jet Stone, once again, with my cohort in crime, Trey Hawkins. Trey, how are you? Good. Good. Glad to hear it. And uh, as a special guest today, we have Joey Calio from Seven Horse and formerly from Dada, of course. Joey, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing all right. Glad to hear it. Now, Trey and I are coming from to you from Dallas. And Joey, where are you coming from? Seattle. Seattle. Beautiful day in Seattle. It hey. is two big music towns connected via the, uh, the wonders of Zoom. Yes. So if you hear artifacts in our audio, it's not our poor recording methods. It's Zoom. We blame Zoom. I just write up. Let's get that out front. We love you, Zoom, but, you know, we're going to blame you, man. Yeah. And if we get photobombed by somebody naked, that's probably Zoom. It's, I'm just oh. saying. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'm scared that you look behind you, Trey. I'm really worried. <laughs> Me too. So we had Joey on recently to talk about Seven Horse and all the amazing things they've been doing and all the places they've gone. And we had his, uh, his cohort in crime, Phil Levitt, on there. Uh, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about guitar, you know, because we're guitar geeks, right? We're, we're guitar nerds. And uh, so we wanted to talk about guitar and bass and amps and pedals and, and that kind of fun stuff. And, uh, and so this is our chance to do that. We're going to try to keep it to uh, a little shorter than our last time. We're going we're gonna to give Joey back his evening here in, in less than an hour is our goal. So the first question I had for you is you, you, you right before we started the show, you were talking a little bit about your search for like a, a drive pedal to put on your board that's relatively bulletproof. I mean, your goal here is to make the live board that's bulletproof you can take around with you. And you're looking for, you're looking through different flavors of drive pedal. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been looking at and what you think? Well, um, what I got right now, let's start with that. The first, the first pedal that's almost always on is one of those, uh, EP boosts. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I think actually, I think it's EP booster to be uh, completely technical, but that just seems to work really well with all my gear. And you know, the funny thing is with all this kind of stuff, it, sound, it can sound great at home. It can even sound great in the studio. But once you go and start rehearsing or playing live and run it through like, you know, bigger amps and stuff at higher volume, it, it's stuff that was great at home or great in the studio. Just it either it's either doesn't have the same flavor all of a sudden at high volume or it doesn't stack well at high volume. And it's like, what what happened? And I took. Yeah, it's always different. Right. So it took me a while to kind of figure out. It's like, I think where I'm at now is I like to stack kind of clean boosts or clean drives together. And then, you know, I think I, I what do I got? I got, I got the EP going into uh, a shins clean boost. Do you hip to shins? I am now that you told me about them the other day. So I started looking those up. Yeah. Oh, that's not cheap, but they sound awesome. No, it's some pretty sexy stuff. Um, really cool stuff. Um, so the EP and the clean drive, those go perfectly together. So, so far, so good. Um, and um, the next level is where it starts getting a little tricky. I was looking for maybe a different thing to either blend with the uh, 
the EP or to put the shins in something else before I went to the next level, which was, you know, overdrive. It, it can stand alone. It's its own overdrive flavor. Um, so that, when that's you say stand alone. Does that mean you would turn off the, the other stuff? Yes. You oh, can okay. run it by itself if you want, or maybe just EP and overdrive. I do that a lot. I mean, if I just leave the EP, you know, the cool thing about that EP drive, well, I guess it's the same thing with the shins too, is it's, you know, real simple to turn. EP is even simpler. It's one knob. It sounds good on like, you know, all the way. It's not really off, but what is that? Seven o'clock or whatever. Yeah, There is no actual yeah. off. It's always got a little bit of a, a boost. Yeah. Exactly. So it sounds good just like that. Um, and, uh, you know, for kind of cleaner tones and stuff like that, halfway, you know, at 12, it's awesome. And above 12, it's still, it just gets awesomer, you know, but, <laughs> right. um, I, I just, I was having troubles with, with pedals that sounded really good in the studio. And when I attached them to that EP, through either the Gretsch or a Tele or whatever, uh, those are kind of my main, a couple of my main guitars. Uh, it just got too uh, growly, too not quite metal, but going in that direction, you know. Right, right. Just got too out of control. Just not. Um, it didn't sound like my guitar anymore, you know, or my amp. So that's kind of a lesson learned for me, you know. Get go slow in your increments. Don't try to, you know, go from A to B in in a big jump. Uh, so I'm looking for that that third slot, you know, the third clean boost. And I had one that was working well, but I, I, um, it, it ended up having a little bit of, a, a, of an electronical uh, issue. And at this point, I just need complete peace of mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. I get that. I had, a, I had a really bad night, personal bad night. Band was great. But I had a personal bad night at the it's the last show we played before the lockdown, which was at the Troubadour in L.A. And now, by the way, I hear the Troubadour. Troubadour is going. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, um, I something long story short, a sh and now here I go. Uh, there was a short <laughs> in the pedal board. Could not figure it out. I mean, had guys running around. Finally, it was just like plugged straight into the amps. And thank God I was running, you know, some, I had my big amps that night, which was nice. Uh, but just unsatisfying. And I really realized it's like, man, I'm just being too cute with my pedal board. You know, <laughs> like too many like little wire. You know, it's like, oh, it's okay. You know, everything's fine, you know, but it's, it's really not. It needs to, it needs to be able to be stepped on you know, a guy needs to be able to pick it up and knock it sideways and when you're not looking, you know, yeah. it's like it's yeah. stuff that happens when you're not looking, right? Because I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Look um, what happens but, when you're not looking. Now, that's an album title right there, dude. Exactly. Um, so that's it. I need peace of mind. And I'm going to keep the other pedal, which will remain un unnamed because I really like it. And I don't want to put any kind of uh, stink on it right now. Um, it's a great, great pedal. Pedal X. Um, but I have a lot of pedals. You know, I, I feel like I have a batch of studio pedals and a batch of live pedals. And, and the live right. can be in the studio, but the studio can't really, doesn't play as well live. So, you know, right. it's interesting. I, when I, because I do so much recording, of course, I, I always think about the studio versus live because a lot of the stuff that we take, we take from here and we go out and perform. And right. 
the thing that I've noticed uh, over the years is, is a, a, an effect that I call residual sound. You're sitting in front of your amp, you're listening to it. It sounds great. It sounds full. It sounds rich. And then as soon as you add anything to it, a drum set, a keyboard, a bass, especially a bass, but even vocals or a bassoon or a, you know, a violin, it doesn't matter. As soon as you add anything to it, the, what you hear on the guitar has now changed. And what you hear is the remaining frequencies that are not masked by the other thing, of course. And it's the residual frequencies that are left over that you're hearing. And so I try not to judge a guitar or an amp or effect on anything but residual sound, if I can help it, unless it's only going to be used by itself. Because otherwise, it's, you're always disappointed. You know, we used right, to have kids when I'd work in the music store when Metallica w was much bigger than they are and everybody wanted to sound like that. They come into the store and dial up the sound of the entire band of Metallica out of the guitar amp, right? So they got the bass right. cranked and it's going thump, thump, thump. And it sounds like the band Metallica, but not what the guitar in Metallica actually sounded like, which was just kept in those guitar frequencies. And then they added the bass and the drums and it got that sound. And I think we started to see a lot of people start to try to make the whole sound out of their amp. And then that just creates more masking frequencies for the other stuff. And you know what I mean? So I think if we're conscious of residual sound and what we're trying to get across and everybody stays in their bandwidth, the overall result can be much more pleasant and easier to deal with in, in that regard. I mean, that reminds me of kind of what I have found. I mean, it just as far as people, how they hear music versus how mm -hmm. a musician who has experience hears music. Um, yeah. And it's essentially, I'm holding my fist up. This is how people hear music, like a balled up fist. It's one thing. Mm -hmm. This is how musicians who have experienced hear music. They hear all the little details. It's all separated. And right. I don't think, you know, once musicians get there, I, I'm not sure if all musicians understand, people don't hear music like that. It's just no. one thing washing over them, you know? So you're right. If a kid thinks that, you know, Metallica is is that is this sound? Then they're trying to get it all. I mean, that's. I wonder what pedal were they trying to use to to sound like Metallica back in the day? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, like it's just like working in a guitar store, like having to have that conversation with. Look, man, if you're playing by yourself, and then want to take that by yourself guitar tone and play with a band, it's not going to sound that great because it's not going to be satisfying. Because again, you're used to listening to the record, you're hearing everything, all right. the compression, quad tracking, like all of this different stuff. I mean, you know, if you, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, but if you do it enough and you play live enough, you just kind of develop an ear and appreciation for that ugliness in and of itself. So that when you're listening to something, just you, you go, oh man, this is going to really vibe with the rest of the band. And you just kind of end up liking it. I mean, that's how I've, what I've found for myself is, the guitar tone that I like now after having played in bands for 10 years is not the guitar tone that I liked when I first picked up and started playing guitar um, or even four or five years into it, having known a little more and, and been playing for a while, it's totally different now because I just inherently have this ear for the mix what's and what's going to happen and... with everything else. Yeah. And, and that's a cool kind of, thing that I, I feel like musicians kind of get a, a, a secret window to. This sort of reminds me also of uh, getting to a point where I've, I'm done with trying to recreate the record live. I mean, I'm just close is close enough. 
Yeah. You know, it just, it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't help you to try to nail all these, like, is the delay exactly like it is on that song? Just, it, it's, it, that's not really what people are, are judging you by. They're judging you by the, what you're putting out there, you know, your, your right. energy, your, your, you know, you, you're not getting blown away by a guy who's nailing the part exactly how it is live. You get blown away by a guy who's just, who who's letting go and and mm -hmm. and just being raw and you know putting himself in in kind of harm's way in a way like i'm just gonna you know i might make a mistake right now because i'm letting go and i'm just mm -hmm. but that's that's the thing that's exciting to people that's the thing i think that's that's the big connection you know i agree that's what right feel, you know i mean i i can only think of one example of all the concerts i've ever seen and as someone who loves the or I guess used to love the uh, note for note album recreation in, in a live setting. I used to be a you know stickler for, okay, if that's the fill that you play on the record, that's the fill we got to play live. And I was stupid, but you know, it, it is what it is. And I can only think of one example where I listened to a band live and went, Oh my gosh, they got it. Perfect. And it was a fleeting moment, like before they even started the song of, wow, I know what song they're about to go into because I can, I can feel it. It's a tangible thing of their perfection of getting that. And that was once in 2008. And I don't care. There's been so many concerts that were so much better than that. Right. That, that didn't, you know, that stuck with me, but only because it only happened once, you know, if it happened two or three times, but I, whatever, that was cool, I guess. But I don't remember anything about that concert past the before they started that song that I knew. I, I knew that they had gotten it like just damn near perfect. And here's and the thing: I, mean, I feel like a lot of touring that nowadays are playing to tracks too. I mean, that's that's yeah. the other, thing, you know. It, it seems like if somebody comes out and plays it, and I used to be the same way. I really wanted to play the album exactly like the album, and I used to make my band do that. Once again, I feel foolish now because. What, as you said, Joy, that nobody cares for the most part. But also, it's almost like if you play it that way, that's the only way you know it and you don't own the song. It's not in you. You're just recreating mm -hmm. it like a cover band as opposed to know that we own this song and we can play it any way we want to and I can stretch and I can pull on this this thing because it's got such a solid life of its own, you know. And so I, in some ways, you kind of want to hear somebody do something a little different, maybe have a slightly different sound because they it shows they've thought about it. It shows that they've evolved maybe with the song since they did it and they're not stagnant. So I, I think that's kind of interesting. Well, you take out, if you take the emotional aspect out of the musical performance, it's just, it's not the same thing. That, that is a, that's right. a different thing. You know, that you, you can't imagine um, uh, the song, Give Me Shelter, you know, and I can't, I wish I knew the woman's name. Um, she's featured in that, uh, uh, that uh, documentary, what, 10 feet from uh, uh, the star or whatever it's called. I can't remember the name of it. But it's all about the background singers, the great background yeah, singers. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, the woman who came in and sang, uh, you know, just off the cuff, uh, Give Me Shelter, it's the greatest moment for me of, of a female, you know, emoting on rock, on a rock record. 
It's Imagine. almost like a great gig in the sky, right? That that same it's kind the, of thing. That, that, that's the other one. Yeah, I say both of those the same one, but this one is almost more raw because I love it, especially when you find out in the movie she doesn't really care about the Rolling Stones. She doesn't, you know, give a <laughs> damn about them or Mick Jagger, and she was kind of like, you know, her hair's up in curlers when she gets there, and like, okay, you're you're a big shot, Mick Jagger. Let me show you how it's done, and she kind of did. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. you can hear them going freaking out. You can hear him in the background, you know, go woo and all that stuff because she's just emoting, you know, and it'll never be that way again. Even if she went on tour with them, it's not going to be exactly right. like that, you know? Right. Yeah. That's well, and, and like even as, and you know, because my band has to play to tracks because we wrote everything for two guitars and we lost a guitar player. Right. So we Dude, have. You're going to find that guy. I'm telling you, he's going to show up one of these days. You can't have the job no matter how many times you ask. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's right here yeah but uh like so even even though we played it yeah, have like auxiliary instruments and things like strings and stuff in the background or or even sometimes other like dual rhythm parts when i'm playing i still intentionally don't play it the exact same way right like i want i have fun on stage i love being on stage i love playing the songs that we've written and so i want that to translate and there's a, a certain sterility to just playing the tracks and playing everything, you know, note for note that because I know certain parts of our set are, you know, have to be locked in like that. When I know that I have wiggle room, I take the wiggle room and my bass player will look over and go like, Oh my gosh, please stop. <laughs> but, but it's fun. And like, I've never had anybody come up to me and go like, man, you were having way too much fun and have it be a bad thing. Or, or Hey, that didn't sound like the album. Right. Yeah. I've never had anybody go, yeah, that didn't sound like the track. It was, dude, that squeal that you did there was super cool. I'm like, yeah, I know my bass player hates it. <laughs> One of the things we've talked about on previous podcasts, and it's kind of ironic considering the name of our, of our show, but if you ask a, a listener, you know, going back to your fist listener concept, right? right. That, that came out all wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> if you go back to the listener, as, as somebody who doesn't really give a damn about any of this detail stuff. And you ask them, what kind of guitar was that on that song that you liked? They won't know. They couldn't tell you if it's a humbuck or a single coil, a Gibson, a Fender, a Gretsch. They don't know. Just like if you hear a saxophone play on a song, I, I'm guessing, you probably don't know what kind of saxophone that was or care or care what kind of metal it was made out of when you hear a piano even and we're all familiar with pianos i mean we've all played with the keyboard players i'm a i'm a keyboard player i don't if i'm picking out my synthesizer or my sample i'm going to be very persnickety about what piano sample i pick the audience could care less and i could care less if i'm listening to billy joel i don't know what kind of piano that guy's playing and i don't care it doesn't bother me if he's playing electric if it's a sample if it's a real piano I have no standards about that. And it's like, well, I trust him since he's making the song that I like to pick out a sound that's good and play it on something that's appropriate. And, you know, I mean, yeah, if he came out with a, a I don't know, a, a really, really inexpensive piano on stage that we all knew was an off brand, I'd be like, ooh, times are hard there. But, <laughs> but by the same token, if he played the hell out of it, I wouldn't care at the end and I wouldn't remember that part of it, you know? So I think as musicians, we need to focus more on, not, not on the gear, there's a double negative, but on the gear that inspires us to get that emotion that Joey's talking about, where we can let loose and we can, as I say, let, let it flow through you. 
let it come from wherever the music thing comes from and flow out uninhibited and whatever that is that makes it easiest to flow out is the things we should go for and if it takes a special pedal to give you that sound so you go oh that's the sound that's in my head and that will allow the flow to happen then it's still legitimate to talk about the details but i think we should keep in mind the audience's caring level is much different than our own and their standards right. are almost non-existent i mean really it, it's good or it's not and there's some, really what it comes down to somebody it's come out with a fail. bad guitar tone and you won't care if the song is good mm-hmm. it is a show after all i mean right. that's what it, it's a show people are coming to see something that you can't normally see in your day-to-day mm-hmm. life and what you can't normally see are people letting go and putting it out there and 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 you know willing to be crazy you know it's funny because i think the more you do it too as a musician the better you get at letting go i mean once you've kind of tapped into that like right. it's okay to kind of let go and actually that's where where it's at for me now it's like i mean we have this song meth lab zoso sticker every once in a while i'll hear the recording of it and the recording's good but i'll go oh my god that is not what i sound like live I'm not trying to get that sound at all live, you know, mm-hmm. so. Well, you know, I mean, think about Cheap Trick, uh, what was it, I Want You to Want Me, right? The live version, yeah. spectacular. The recorded version, you're like, oh my God, that's not even the same song. Right. Or the, or the Kiss albums, you know, getting famous from the live versions. That's a good point. Playing, what, was the, what was the disco song? Uh, I Was Made for Loving You. Oh, it's yeah. completely different live. Yeah. Than it was on the record. Yeah. Like, right. But that's cool. It is cool. Uh, Love we, affair with the, with, uh, with the counting crows, which is unusual. If you know, my standard issue music taste, but they almost never play the songs the same way live that they do on the record. And they do it intentionally. Adam, their singer kind of acts like a, like a director in the moment of, okay, this is where we're going with this song. Everybody needs to be on, on par and follow me. And like, like to your credit, uh, Joey, like that level of musicianship and being willing to let go and go, cool, we're going this way with the song tonight. Right. Whatever, like we can do that. Um, that's become, you know, so much cooler to me as I've, as I've gotten older and, and played more. Speaking but, of Counting Crows, they used to be on Geffen and, and, and I worked at Geffen before I got signed uh, within uh, the band Dada. Um, and so I get to go to all these Geffen shows um, and I saw that I saw them and I will say this, this is an unusual uh, situation. They had the loudest by far pre-roll of any band. I'm not the band wasn't, it's a, but they played <laughs> uh, a magical mystery tour roll up, you know, it was I couldn't believe how loud it was. And, you know, I, I can dig something being loud, but it was moving, you know, molecules around the room. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. shocking. I mean, Kiss, speaking of Kiss, Kiss was a pretty loud band. I saw I saw a Kiss, uh, whew, it was a while ago. Because um, I, I, Kiss was more like a kitschy thing for me. It was never like a, that's my band kind of thing. But it did kind of like become right. a fun thing to like. And it's it a like, show. Oh, I mean, it's oh, a yeah, show. Totally. And I think I did get into them because of the live stuff. I think, you know, that's, or maybe it was that in that double platinum record was kind of a fun, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, the, the pop kind of hits of Kiss kind of stuff. Right. Um, 
but uh, that that was a loud band. But uh, as far as like loud stuff, I, I've never, no one's ever topped the Counting Crows. Wow, I would never, really? never think of them yeah, as a I wouldn't loud have, band. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have ever thought that. Wow. Oh, it was, it was mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So going back to the gear for a minute, because yeah. I've been thinking about this, you know, I'm, I'm doing a similar thing like you are because we've seen each other's boards. I'm, I'm looking um, at a stage of gain that's very light and that, that colors it, then another stage that really is more of an EQ color, even though it's a, just a clean boost, it, it kind of gives it a certain, I don't know, a, a fluffiness to it or whatever, and a roundness and maybe a little bit of bottom end. And then I'm going through another one for my overdrive. And then for solos, I've got this other one. And, I, and then I'm going into a clean amp. I'm going into, a, into the, the two rock and the boogie in stereo. And I'm just setting those really clean. Either one could do a great distortion, but I find it easier to control for pedals and, and that kind of thing. But I started thinking, really what we're doing on the floor is creating cascading gain stages exactly like they're doing in the boogies and the, you know, the higher end amps and stuff where you've got all these amps. But the, the difference is that we can control each one with our foot on the fly. And I think that's the, the interesting thing. And I hadn't really put that all together in my head. It kind of just happened. I'm looking over here at my pedal board. Uh, it just kind of happened organically that I developed it that way. And, and it was when you started telling me how you did yours. I'm like, oh, that's what we're doing. How about that? <laughs> we, we've, uh, what do they call that? Uh, um, deconstructed the amp pre and put it right. on the floor. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's better. I I have found to get that uh, inc that slight incremental movement. Is it really at volume? It's not so incremental. Uh, right. You know, it, it really does have a you know you really can, and plus it's like you know how it is. It's like you're playing a telly with just regular telly pickups, even if they're great telly pick pickups. Okay. Uh, but then you go and get some P nineties or you play a Gretsch with some, you know, filter trons and it's like, Whoa, what just happened? You know, and, and forget, I, I don't even have, do I have a humbucker. I don't have a straight humbucker pickup on any guitar right now, which wow. is not, not because I don't want one. I just don't have it right now. I, I, I think I lean more towards the cleaner, kind of sound except in the studio i'm always like oh you know give me that sg or whatever um hmm. but uh uh that it, it it's it's amazing how different you know those pedals sound through the different guitars you know it's not yep. like you get your pedal and it sounds the same with all your you know that's the other thing you know that's another reason for having more than one or a couple right. of different clean boosts because one's going to play better with that uh that humbucker you know that is true. I can turn off my EP, for instance, which gives you that bottom end hump and that extra little boost. I turn that off if I'm going to grab something with a humbucker. And then uh, I probably don't need as much of my solo boost. So I won't use that for solos. You know, I could just drive up the, the guitar volume a little bit for a solo. But with the single coils, which is what I usually would play, I need all of them. Right. It's, Are it's you riding really... your volume? You guys ride your volume when you play with your I, hand on the guitar? I do. I am, I am wide open all the time. Now you're still Honest. talking about your volume, right? I mean, everything, all yeah, of it like, wide open. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, do what? Do you, do you use a volume pedal at all? I don't. Uh, I, I do have a volume pedal, uh, but it's literally just for at the end of the song to, to turn off my signal. Like it's not, I don't ever use it as a tone shaping kind of thing. I always find I mean, they screw up your sound somehow. They like take away the impact or something. 
Yeah, well, and, and because I've got mine running through my Kemper, it's it's set as an expression in volume within the circuit. So it's not the uh. it's not the signal going into the amp. It's within the amp itself that it's that it's backing off a thing. Um, right. But I mean, I there is a I I don't know. I've kind of fallen in love with this idea of bypassing a tone stack or bypassing a volume. Um, the grease you know, bucket with, circuit with, right? within the guitar. Yeah. Like this raw, just what the pickup gives you is what you have. And I don't know if it's just from being around it and just kind of developing an appreciation for it, but uh, that has really just kind of been what I've fallen in love with. I mean, my, my buddy literally took out his volume and tone pot in his jazz master about a month ago and played it for me and it sounded like a completely like a whole new guitar huh. and i totally want to do that yeah like i there's something so cool about like a blower switch or a, okay cool we're just gonna go you know balls to the wall just pure tone of the pickup into the front of the amp with maybe one or two things and i think that's kind of what some of the pedals are doing is making up for the fact that we have created resistance or um you know, taken, taken away from the signal that's leaving the guitar. You know, if you're using something like, uh, like I know Jet uses a steel string. Um, so to see. And, uh, and yeah, and you've, you've used them before. Like that pedal to me has that kind of bypassing the tone stack sound, even though we didn't bypass the tone stack within the guitar um, or the amp, you know, necessarily, but that kind of raw feeling. I feel like we're, we're using pedals to kind of give back some of the life to um, what we've taken away by having all the switching and all the different resistance and things within the guitar. No, that's Not to get too, too nerdy about it. No, but, no, but, that's uh, interesting though. I hadn't really thought about the pedals as a, as a making up so much as a, you know, a control after the fact. Interesting. I, I would feel lost without, without volume on my guitar. I don't mm -hmm. know what I would do without it. I, so that's what I, I use a volume pedal to ride. Mm -hmm. I use it for um, dynamics, essentially, just the same way you're probably using your, it. For me, it's like, especially, I think, you know, I didn't really become a, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a great guitar player. I'm an okay guitar player. But I got much better um, about 15 years ago. I started, I learned how to play slide. I started, learned how to finger pick, blah, blah, blah. But in this band, Seven Horse, I became a much better. Um, so that's been 10 years now. And and basically it's because there was no bass player and no other, you know, it was just right. me and Phil live. And so I'm doing everything. Anything that's not drums, I'm doing. So it, mm -hmm. it's like if I stop, the music stops. So right, don't right. stop. A lot, a lot of uh, open, uh, you know, droning, a lot of open tuning and stuff like that it kind of created a style for me, which is kind of cool because now I don't play like anybody else or, you know, or like most other people. Um, but um, the one thing I, I don't have is time to play with knobs on the guitar. You know, right. I'm just a lot of strumming going on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, you're, you're used to being the whole thing and filling out all the yeah, space. You're so, used yeah, to doing you can't, everything. You can't, can't stop. Right. So I got, I got used to using a volume pedal. I really like that. That, that, that's, I, I just, you know, I roll it back a little and then full blown. And then of course it's great to, as a kill switch, 
like you were mm-hmm. saying. I mean, that, that's always awesome. But I, I mean, I don't do like, you know, I'm not Steve Howing it or anything like that. I'm not, <laughs> not doing that. Stuff. Right. I'm not, you know, that's, that's not I've my, never heard Steve thing. Howe as a verb before. Yeah. That was Steve Howing it. Steve, Steve Howing it. Interesting. Interesting. I, uh, I, I've, I've tried pedals before and I don't find that my, I think it's probably because I'm a drummer. So I don't find my, um, my gross motor skills in my feet sensitive enough to, to do what I want to do. I always end up either overshooting my mark or undershooting it and then listening back later and going, Oh man, <laughs> me and my right. damn pedal. So yeah. I, I know I can do it with my fingers, my right. feet, not so sensitive. They're just used to banging on stuff. Right. Well, I feel like a lot of volume pedals too, that I've tried over the years uh, have this kind of, uh, here I am, like kind of, uh, kind of feel to it. And, and so, you know, if it's not calibrated right, or if it's not the right kind of pot value or something like that, like that really hinders the ability to use that as a finesse tool. And so I feel like a lot of us just kind of develop habits and, and preferences based on what our limitations are. Now, now I just like cool. to say that he lives in Seattle. So pot value may mean something different to him. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing that out there. Oh Yeah. Because in Texas, it's just a potentiometer. Every street corner around here. It's crazy. Um, You know, because you're right about that with the volume pedal. um, And you got to, I mean, that's, this is not a inexpensive (laughs) game we're playing here. I mean, although you, if you work at a, at a music store, that might make it easier because you get to try stuff out. But um, I, I just recently uh, got a, are you guys hip to free the tone? Oh yes, yeah. love for you the tone. Delay got, in the chorus. I just got their uh, volume pedal. Oh. It's totally different the way they've got it set up. I mean, how I, I was using those uh, uh, the VP Juniors, and yeah. you know, I don't want to diss them because they do fit perfectly and they they kind of work perfectly. But man, I've I've gone through. So many of those strings live. I mean, they just oh, yeah. right. don't hold up on the oh, road. Yeah. I mean, you know what it comes down to? What will hold up on the road? Well, this free the tone right. thing. It's got a uh, instead of a string, it's like a, a it, it's it's like a gear. It's like a almost like a, a, like a toothed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 I don't know. It's like, kind of kind of kind of washer thing. Go ahead. What were you saying, Trey? Like, 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 like a washer with teeth, like kind of a rubber. It's not a washer. It's a, it's a long uh, cable. It's like a zip tie in a way, you know. Okay, got it. But it's, but it's beefy. Yeah, and yeah. It, it yeah. runs the entire length of it. it it's really cool. Um, although I haven't toured with it yet, and the funny thing is, like, I am jonesing. I think I mentioned this before. I, I don't know what is going on, man. A, a bug bit me a couple weeks ago and now i can't stop thinking about two rock amps i'm so <laughs> locked in <laughs> yeah yeah and, you're and preaching I, to the choir buddy I'm, yeah yeah i'm so lucky i've got i've got a bogner shiva 20th anniversary with kt88s that is such a beautiful lamp Ready? i've got a mm-hmm. uh, um, clubman again very warm super cool amp and then i've got little versions of both of those i've got a you know, I run those with two by twelves. I got a one by twelve uh, matchless Avalon that's got a thirty fifteen. You know, uh, a half the tube 
power tube section thing. It's really good. Actually, that thing sounds good in the studio. I'm very surprised at how good that sounds in the studio. And then I've got another Bogner with the uh, EL34s, you know, so it's it, just for smaller footprint. Um, but uh, it's so I'm not hurting for amps. Right. But I mean, if you look at my YouTube thing, it's just, you know, it's all, you know, shootouts of different uh, uh, two rock things right now. Right. So. And here's the other funny thing. If I had a two rock right now and I wanted to go play live, good luck. Well, there is that. You know? Which, and, and like, as as a two rock dealer, uh, I literally just sold a Bloomfield Drive uh, right before I headed over here to uh, to do the podcast. And... Oh, that we hurts him, man. Keep, That's what he wants. <laughs> we, we can't keep them in stock. Like... This guy literally goes, will you, will you do a deal on it? I'm like, no, man. <laughs> like, it is it is what it is because they're 38 to 42-week lead time wow. for, a, for a new order. And it's because they want to be the ones touching every single amp. Right. They refuse to, to drop the quality for sake of um, production, which is what makes them great because right. they have some kind of special sauce in them that I haven't heard in pretty much any other amp. And, you know, honestly, that's the only thing that could probably knock me off of Kemper is if two rock went, Hey, uh, you know, if you burn your Kemper in front of us, we'll, uh, you know, we'll send you a TS one. I'm like, all right, man, I got the matches right here. I'm ready. Let's do this. Um, but don't do that. Um, no, I'm not going to, what do you, since I got you here, uh, what, uh, yeah. what are your feelings between the Silver Sterling versus the Bloomfield? So the Bloomfield, from what I've uh, what I've experienced, is is definitely more that kind of mid gain flavor. Um, if you're always kind of riding in between the lines and you want to push it a little more, you can. Um, you know, the TS1 is very, very, very clean to very, very, very driven, um, and I like the TS1 probably the best for my applications right but the the bloomfield drive is a very 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 close runner-up because uh, the sterling silver and the uh, reverb signature um, tend to be a little more clean than i like in general and if i'm running a two rock i pretty much want to run the gain stages within the amp because they they do it so well that putting a pedal in front of it sometimes doesn't acclimate quite as well the studio definitely takes pedals better than the TS1 and, and the Bloomfield. Each one has like a different uh, rectifier in it. Like, like even the Bloomfield drive, the 50 watt versus the, the 100 watt has a solid state rectifier in it. So your bass is a little more compressed and you have broader headroom and the 50 watt has a tube rectifier in it. So it's a little squishier, uh, a little warmer in general with its attack. Um, and they kind of do that to... Um, balance everything out because at 50 watts you don't have the headroom that you do at 100 watts so, so that was going to be my next question it can you get away with a 50 watt i mean it's like i really want the 100 watt um mm -hmm. but um look man I, i'm already getting yelled at you know from from, from my, my 35 is so loud man my 35 was, is ridiculously loud i've never heard anything even even like a box ac30 it, it would it would be blown out by this thing and that's well, the 35 and, so and i use you know that the boogie in stereo it's it's so much i like when the you, headroom i did i love that's what i like about the bogner tons of right head. 
Well, and when you consider that the, the relationship between wattage and volume is logarithmic, not direct. So right. going from 50 to 100 watts is only really giving you an additional 3 dB That's of a, volume. That's right. It's, it's really just about the headroom and the tone. It's not about the, at, from 50 watts up, it's really your flavor. It's not the power. I mean, I've seen bands do just fine with 50 watts and you wouldn't, you couldn't have fooled me or you could have fooled me, excuse me, uh, that they were running hundred watt heads out of four twelves. And I would have been like, oh yeah, of course they are. And they're just 50 watts. It's just how it saturates, how it compresses naturally and, and the general kind of flavor within the amp. So, I mean, it depends on what your focus is. I typically tell people that are asking, you know, in terms of. So when I get my hundred watt two rock and they yell at me, I'm going right. It will Trey said, you know, yeah, you can give them my phone number and I'll be like, look, man, you're the sound guy. So it's automatically your fault. <laughs> wow. There's a t-shirt idea right Perfect. there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so if you're focusing on clean and you're wanting to push it more with pedals here and there, the hundred Watts, probably the better, at least on paper, probably the better option. If you're wanting to run everything within the amp and using pedals sparingly with it, then the 50 watt might be better. I'll yeah. tell you the headroom on this 35, I've never, even at, at the loudest, I can stand it. It never feels like it's like it's choking or running mm -hmm. out of headroom. You know, I mean, I had a, a Mark V boogie uh, 90 water not too long ago and, you know, clean. It, it sounded like it had infinite headroom. And I swear this thing could keep up with it. You know, it just keeps getting better and better sounding the closer you get to the end. But I've never gotten there. Right. <laughs> the, the, my, the Clubman I have, I, I love it, but it does start to break up. I mean, it's just got that EL34 thing. It just it, right. And that sounds cool, but. So I tend to run it quieter than, than the Bogner and then, you know, kind of just control them that way, you know? Oh, cause the Bogner is, is the Bogner's not a hundred Watts, is it? It's 90, but it's, yeah, it's, nine. Okay. it's, you know, they say it's, but it's KT 88s. I mean, that thing is just, just massive beef. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> Which I think I told you last time the the Shiva is one of my favorites and, and that one still like if, I got, again, gun to my head, had to choose between a Shiva and a two rock, like a TS one. I, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could let the two rock go. Does two rock do artist deals? That's uh, they do. Um, one of, one of the guys that's, uh, that comes to our shop uh, a lot has serial number zero uh, zero one of the TS ones. Nice. Um, and he's a, uh, he's an endorser of theirs. So they, I mean, the worst they can say is no, like you I, said I mean, last time. You know what's so funny? I, I would never used to even think of that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. one day Phil goes, well, why don't you call whoever it was and see if you can get a deal? And I did, and I got one. And it was the right. very beginning. It was before we were, you know, anything. And so it was like, okay, I'm going to keep going. And then we got in the, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street movie and boom, I got, right. I've been, you know, it's been very helpful. Let's put it that way. But well, and no I, one's giving you stuff. They're just giving you a great deal on it, basically. Right, right, right. And they're such a small company that, you know, if the wait time for the average person is 42 weeks, you're not going to get a ton of special treatment because they're going to take just as long to make yours perfectly as they will the, you know, Joe Schmo that, that buys it. 
uh, from a dealer or direct or anything like that. But it's a, um, I love being involved with a company that I believe in. And like, I have a couple of endorsement things that I partner with and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's a communal kind of feeling. And especially if it's gear that you love, you are going to buy it anyway. Right. But you can, you know, wear it with pride and be like, yeah, man, I play two rocks because they're the best. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's a cool kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, thinking about it, uh, Jet Ariel Posen's a two rock artist. Oh, Schofield yeah. might be Eric, Eric Johnson. Um, Eric Johnson. Um, so yeah, they definitely have a, uh, have an artist program. So I would, I would hit them up. Right. And, uh, and yeah. as soon as I see that, I, I'm looking at your shirt, Jet. I, 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 I make it really clear. Gretch actually did give me a white Falcon. So oh. um, that was very nice of them. Yeah. Love so. Gretch. Big Gretch fan. I've got a, I've got a white Falcon and a silver Falcon and man, they're, you can't be, I'm, I, I love them. And they're, they're the uh, main Japan. They're yeah. awesome. Have you guys ever seen Setzer play live? I have. Mm -mm. It is one of the best experiences of my life. Oh, that guy. I, I was, he, I was knew he was good, but forget about it, man. He he's is just incredible. He's all that feel and he just gets it and he doesn't play it exactly like the record and you wouldn't want him to, but man, can that guy wail? Oh my God. Yeah. He can. Super, super talented. And he controls the volume like crazy. He's got such tone. He just, he plays the guitar and the amp and that space echo like it's one instrument, you know? It's not a system. Right. It's like one thing that is organically alive and he's just controlling it like a cowboy on a horse. Sorry, that's a Texas reference you Seattle guys might not understand. <laughs> and uh, I, I, saw, I saw his Christmas show, which was, you know, the perfect thing to see at Christmas was the Brian Setzer Christmas show. It was, it was just <laughs> one of the best nights ever. And their sound, uh, you know, I don't know who was running sound, but man, they did such a great job. You could hear, you know, you could hear his fingers on the strings, even with the big band. It was, right. it was, a, it was very inspiring. I saw him at the Hollywood Bowl. It was incredible. A friend of mine's got a house that overlooks the Hollywood Bowl. So you just get free Hollywood Bowl concerts. Oh, wow. And lucky enough to mm. see that and it was just incredible wow yeah that's that's well, a nice i feel like thing. i feel like uh rockabilly in general is kind of uh overlooked a little bit well, i was i mean i i, like I went his, through a huge rockabilly phase yeah me too in my youth so it's like that was that was my thing i in fact you know the stray cats weren't even you know that big when I first started listening to them, you know, they were, they were right. kind of a hip, cool thing to like, you know, then they got huge. Right. What is it about rockabilly that you like? Was it the culture? Was it the it's music? So was pure. it the rhythm? The culture is, I mean, you know, look, I'm, and I'm, you guys are, you're, you're, you're a car guy too, right? You're, you're like, you're building cars or something, right? Cars, motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, so I love that stuff, but you know, I, uh, it really was, it was about the music. It's, I started realizing it's so funny. I went when I, you know, I went from, you know, a little kid growing up, listening, loving everything on the radio, just everything on the radio to, okay. Getting kind of persnickety about like, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, 
maybe niche kind of uh, prog rocky kind of things where it's like, oh, well, you know, we like these guys because they're, you know, more talented than these guys and they're not mainstream. And, and, that, and I still like them, but um, that's kind of your head when you're a kid. And it, right. it swung all the way back to like, you know what? No, I'm into strip it down, super pure, you know, the roots of any style of music, the roots. And I just got really driven by that at just the right time. And it kind of, it, it's perfect because it kind of like straightened me out, you know, like, look, just don't worry about the, 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 you know, the fluffy hair and the things flying off of the, uh, the jackets and stuff like that. It's, it's about the music and it's so easy to get, that kind of music uh it's it's very it's very emotional you know i think and plus like when you're young rockabilly come on man it's perfect yeah yeah, mm. yeah. just an excuse for me to use tremolo <laughs> <laughs> right? right i have zero use for tremolo in anything that i play and it just i try and incorporate it all the time and i never can without it being hokey or, or kind of kitschy in a way that makes it sound like, okay, and now we're going into the surf rock rockabilly section of this song. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But uh, yeah, that it comes down to me for a lot of, I feel like my musical tastes over the years because I play have to do with, wow, that would be really cool to do not just listening to it as a, as a listener, but as a musician, I can't really turn that part of my brain off that goes, yeah, that would be really fun to figure out how to make that sound and, and, and experiment with that right. kind of, uh, that kind of tone. Boy, and there's nothing more evocative than a Gretsch with a Bigsby. I mean, and, you know, really that... not easy either. I mean, these guys are real players. It's, mm -hmm. that's like, I mean, you know, that's serious business, all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. You especially know. the way Setzer does it with, with all the jazz influences that he throws in there. It's like, whole, that's what, actually, right. that's kind of how I got into jazz at all is because I was listening to Setzer go, what is he playing? And, and how come I like that sound? It doesn't sound like all the normal primary colors I'm used to listening to and that rockability often has. He kind of throws in all this other stuff and you're like, I don't know. It was very, it was like a spice that stayed on your tongue. And, and after you, you turn off the song, it stuck with you and, I don't know that that's one of the things I like best about him. Going back to the tremolo thing. I, you know what I, I, I find, I just use it because I don't use uh, any kind of chorusing or phasing or anything like that live, but mm -hmm. I use tremolo, I think in that slot. And I, so I just barely have it on a lot of times, just barely right. and not too fast. And I, and it just puts a little wiggle in it, you know, and it just, it does something to the room, you know, that I right. like. At high volume, of course. Yeah, at which, high which sure, and 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 like I feel like that's a lot of times the the way in which most of us use effects are just a little bit on, just to give it a bigness or something. Because uh, like I typically hate chorus for whatever reason. I don't know. It offends me, like at my <laughs> core. But, core. but don't and, you love the police? But, Aren't you a then I'll listen fan? to the police and, and go, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And yeah, or, or the cult, which is just like an oversaturated chorus. Oh my and I'm God. like, man, this is the greatest thing. And then I try and use it with my, my own stuff. And again, I'm like, man, this is so hokey. I can't use this. Um, but, you know, dialing off of things, you know, our last uh, recordings that we did, 
I was finally able to add some tremolo, but again, it was so light that you can't even, you can't even really tell that it's there. Fist but listeners are never going to hear it, man. Yeah. But if you take it away, you're going to go, ah, it kind of sounds empty. It doesn't sound as big. Um, and, and you're right. Like that most of the time people that are using effects, phaser, flange, any kind of modulation, it's, it's the bare minimum to just give it like these different artifacts or a bigness or something like that. Like Van Halen did with As the a, Eventide Harmonizer back in the 90s, right? Where he just had it on all the time on everything and you eventually forgot about it and it just made it sound thicker and wider and you weren't really mm. sure why necessarily all the time, but it was that a pair of those harmonizers. You know, I mean, it's funny how you, I think as a guitar player, you end up finding what is your effect. You know, it's yeah. like, it's just like even like a whammy bar. It's like you, you see Jeff Beck or somebody using it all the time. It's like, well, I'm going to start doing it. And then if you do it, it sounds stupid, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just a, you find your, you know, that, that it just wasn't meant for you, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so then, so then what's yours, Joey? What, what was your, what's your thing that's, that's uniquely yours in your opinion? Uniquely mine. I don't know if I have very much uniquely mine, except for the fact that that uh, you know when we started and it, there was no bass player. Now we when we tour we bring a bass player at minimum, and now we've been bringing a keyboard player, and it, it mm -hmm. it's awesome. And a lot but it of it changes your residual sound, sound though. It 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 changes it changes the way I play, but it also right. in a good way. It changes mm -hmm. the way I play. It gives me a little breathing room. I don't have to like panic. You know, if I stop or quiet down a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I think for the listener in the in the in the room, you know, it, it, it was tough not having bass for a while. I mean, I think people liked it at first, but then it was like, you know, I kind of got tired of hearing about it myself. You know, it's like, yeah, it's true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I miss it. <laughs> well, and you used to be a bass player in Dada, right? Yeah. Well, I still am. I mean, I play bass like in the studio and yeah, in Dada I was a bass player and I was a loud bass player. I mean, Dada is a loud band. I mean, technically Dada is still there, although we don't do much um, anymore, but um, that is not a quiet band. Um, although mm -hmm. we would, we could play it like back when there was Tower Records, we would do like in-store things at Tower Records all around or uh, Hard Rock Cafes. They used to, we had a great hookup with, with, uh, Hard Rock Cafe, uh, the person that was in charge of booking all the Hard Rock Cafes was friends with our manager back then. And she would say, look, here's your deal. You play all the Hard Rocks that I need you to play during the year. And on New Year's, I'll throw you a bone and you're playing uh, uh, in Hawaii. Ooh, Got two we Hawaii New Year's games. And that was the first, my first time going to Hawaii too. So mm -hmm. uh, that that was great, but uh, so yeah, Dada, we could do, we could get quiet, but really, we were a loud band. So I was a loud bass player. Mm -hmm. um, Would you have two SVT rigs? Two at, at, at the height of my volume, I had two SVT two the the, the SVT two heads. You know, the it, they they didn't make them for very long. They're I really like those heads actually. Oh yeah. Um, I I like the classics. Those are cool. I mean, nowadays if you know, just a classic SVT with eight by ten, and that's enough. You know? Oh, just an eight by ten. Yeah, just an eight. By, I had two eight by tens for a while. It was oh man, it's so Ooh. creamy. I mean, it's so. I mean, 
it's perfect. It really is perfect. That's called needing a roadie really bad. Yeah. Yeah. That's called every gig's going to have stairs. Oh, no, not again. (laughs) That was back when we had, you know, we had a big crew, the biggest bus. I mean, when Donna started, we were in, just like anybody, we were in, you know, actually, when Donna first started, we were in a car, then we went to a station or or a minivan, then we went to two minivans, then we went to a box truck and and a car. You have to have a bus to keep up. Um, cause those guys are like, they have a deal where they were, I think they were had one crew that was setting up the day before they had the crew for the day of show. And then they had the teardown crew. So, I mean, they were just like booking it. And I think mm-hmm. sting was flying everywhere. He wasn't even on the bus. And I swear to God, they had like 12 buses. I mean, it was incredible how many people, of course, I did see the bottom of their, you know, you see their bays where, you know, where we would put all our gear. It's all like golf stuff. I mean, so these guys are. (laughs) Must be nice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You got to get to that point where you got a big crew and you got stuff. Don't bring two SVTs if you're in a band. Definitely don't do that to yourself or anybody else, please. No, that must have been just, I mean, you must have just felt the air hitting you like a, like an impact wrench. It was, it, well, back, and we were playing like sheds, though, and stuff back then, too. So it's right. like, you know, it really, it had a place to go, you know, mm-hmm. or even like a thousand, like the, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, uh, any thousand seat club, you know, I'm trying to think right. of like a famous one uh, somewhere, but I'm not. Um, but anyways, you, you get the point. A thousand seat club, it sits perfect in that room. It really does. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, you know, one SVT and one eight by 10, you're fine. What kind of bass did you play? Um, well, when the, when Donna first started, I had a, um, it was the first year American made Fender Jazz reissues. It was, it was like that, those, uh, late eighties ones where I think they got tired of the Japanese ones right. that were coming out kicking ass you know so mm-hmm. they decided that was the beginning custom shoppery you know um so i had that as a great base on buddy of mine bought it so and he's got a studio in northern california it's a great studio so whenever i'm in that studio i get to use it yeah. um but um so that was a great it was jazz bass i love jazz basses um but then when we first start getting some checks um i started getting a couple you know different precision here different you know, I had a Les Paul recording bass for a while that uh, was pretty fat. Um, but uh, then around 1998, a buddy of mine who had a guitar shop in uh, L.A. said, you got to come down here and play this Jerry Jones bass. It's really trippy. It doesn't weigh anything and it just sounds really, it's just got a really warm sound. And I played it, I just fell in love. So it's a Jerry Jones one cutaway like a les paul shape one cutaway um lipstick pick pickups that thing it's just it's butter hmm. i mean, it's first off it's easy to play it's so mm. it's it's kind of too easy to play really like a jazz bass I, I like digging into a jazz bass or a precision bass it feels solid this thing it's like you could throw it around you know it's just it's it's like nothing but mm. i mean you can once you get used to that you can do some stuff on that and the greatest thing 
it does not weigh you down like halfway through the night, you know, you're not going, wow, this thing's getting heavier. I mean, you can just, you can do whatever you want. So I, I that's the one base I hung on to. I still have that. Huh. Jerry Jones. Not, a, not my favorite studio base. It's a three quarter scale. Um, so it's not perfect for the studio. I usually just use a jazz in the studio. You know, mm -hmm. hmm. I'm not really thinking about bases anymore though. You know, I'm just not, I'm not lusting after bass. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel that, um, bass tones um, translate from the studio to live compared to the, you know, the guitars that we've talked about. What do you mean? And what, in what regard? Well, well, like, you know, we know how we've talked about how in the studio a guitar can have a certain sound and then live, you're going to go out and it's going to lose a lot of things. You need a certain, you know, you need more cut. You need a little less bottom end. You need, you need that character that's going to come through. I'm just wondering how you feel how the bass translates from the studio to live. If there's that much of a difference or if you think a, a studio tone works pretty well live too. I kind of think it does actually. It's, it's, it's pretty, those are a little bit, that, that's a little bit more uh, unilateral, I think on the sounds. Yeah. Guitar is a little trickier, um, but a bass I mean, I kind of just want what I want out of a bass. And it, and it does that thing live as it does in the studio. It also depends on who's playing it. So for, for me, I've kind of fallen more in love with really, I mean, when I was a kid, I was more about like seeing a guy like Chris Squire or John Entwistle do his thing. But mm -hmm. as I, you know, grew up a little bit, it was really, nah, you know, just lay it down, man lay it down you're the feel of the of the song you know just lay it down so it, it, it's it's a little less um i don't know it, it's not as tricky to get really it's just pick up a good bass plug it into a good amp and, and and you're good you know for me right 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 and with guitar you're looking at much more not only more variances in tone typically but you're looking at uh getting more sustain at certain times and that sort of stuff whereas bass you're there all the time with, with your sound and you've already got such a big piece of real estate sonically that you probably don't have to feel like I have to work with others as much. <laughs> oh no, I've ruined no, bass exactly. players all over the world now. And, and for me, for guitar, it's really about, um, it's attached to the song, okay? So it's about songwriting. Um, so I have two electric guitars that are tuned open tune, one open G, one open D um that i can play slide on or uh, or you know finger pick um i have two national guitars same thing open g open d and then my um my any the telecasters or i have a jazz master actually jazz masters tuned down to standard d for one song only um which is right to my point that guitar is for that song i mean so basses for me aren't really like that guitars are really tied into the song. I mean, like I can't play Meth Lab Zoso sticker on a Telecaster, not gonna happen. It's gotta be the Gretsch, or if it's an acoustic kind of show or a radio station, I do it on a national. Gotta be open tuning. I mean, it just does. You know? Interesting, that's, that's, I hadn't really thought about it that way. That's interesting. Well, you know, I'm looking at the time here and we promised you, not not too long tonight. We're already over an hour, so I think we should probably let you go. But uh, will you come back again? Anytime, man. Okay. Well, Trey, any any final thoughts before we let this man have his evening back? No, I mean, I, 
That was a cool conversation. It was. <laughs> I, I, you had your chance, and that was your window. That was it. That was it. <laughs> I'll let it go. Oh. Joey, a pleasure as always. And, and folks, thanks for joining us for Gear and Gigs. Uh, Joey Callio from Seven Horse. And uh, for Trey Hawkins, I'm Jed Stone. You guys have a good one. So glad you could make it for another episode of Gear and Gigs. Hey, before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you can find out about the new upcoming episodes and stick around for another episode. We're bound to be just as entertaining. Until next time, take care.